It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, Philippians chapter 4, if you uh, have your Bibles. <clears throat> and again, we've been walking through uh, Philippians 4.8 over the last several sessions and uh, looking at each of these whatevers. And again, just as a reminder, these are not restrictive. These are not a uh, limitation. This is a, hey, this is a freedom thing. This is, hey, just go crazy thinking about anything you want within these realms. Uh, so again, if you have your Bibles, want to read Philippians 4.8, just so it's, again, just in the forefront of our minds. Paul says this, Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I have a question for you. What's your, uh, what's your reputation? If, if someone was going to define you in like a word, uh, if the people around you who know you best, if, if your, your church back home was to somehow put a word on your life, what word would they use to describe you? In other words, what's your reputation? Interesting question, isn't it? And maybe if you're like, I'll, I'll take two words. Okay, take two words. But, but if you have an honest assessment, you realize a reputation is a person's perspective on your life and your character. That the consistency that you have in your life has declared something to the people around you and the people around you have seen something and they're making a declaration that's called your reputation. And so if you want to even break it down, there's, there's two aspects of reputation, right? It's you and your, your life and your living, your character, and it's other people's perspective of that thing. Now, sometimes how you live is not seen correctly. And so there's words like slander. There's words like um, uh, a bad report kind of a thing where no matter how you live, they are diminishing or misunderstanding how you're living. Does that make any sense? In other words, you could be doing all the right things, but they're like, ah, you're still a horrible person. And hey, you're a Christian, so expect that kind of stuff. But what happens in, in a good reputation is the way that you are living is seen properly, and then you have this good reputation. Does that make any sense? Is everybody even awake? I mean, I'm tired, but you look tired, you know? It's like, some of you. Uh, let me give you a couple of verses on this idea of reputation. I think it's just fascinating. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good name is better than good oil. That having a good reputation, a good name, is actually better than oh, good oil. Which doesn't make much sense in our culture. But in their culture, that's important. Uh, Proverbs 22.1, a good name or a good reputation is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. And so I know, I know that we look, uh, <clears throat> look at the Elon Musk of our world and go like, wow, if I could just have his fortune, that would be awesome. And it would be awesome, you know, because you could tithe on that. But, but you realize, according to the Proverbs, Here's Solomon, and he had the great wealth. But he says, you know what actually is better than the great wealth? Is having a good reputation. 
I, I find it interesting in, in Romans chapter 16, Paul is wrapping up the book of Romans and he is uh, talking and, and saying, hey, here's all these greetings, right, for the people. And he makes a statement about this lady named Phoebe. And he says in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, I recommend or I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who was a servant of the church, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. Here's the reason why. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. And Paul says, oh, I, I, I just recommend her to you. Why? She has a good reputation. That, that the way her life is has demonstrated something. Now, if you take that idea and come into our verse, I think that'll help you make sense of this. Uh, the word that we're looking at this morning, in my translation, says commendable. Uh, some translations say admirable. Some translations say good report. But the idea is reputation. Uh, the word there for commendable, uh, it's uh, euphemous, is, is the Greek word. And uh, it's two Greek words shoved together. And I think if you understand the two root words, it'll, it'll probably make more sense. One of the root words is the word you, E-U, which means good or well. And the other word is uh, feme, which is this idea of report or fame or reputation. Uh, for example, that word report or fame or reputation, fame, uh, it shows up two times in Scripture, both times about Jesus. Uh, for example, one time it's in the Luke 4, 14, and it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news, that's our word, or the report about him spread all throughout that surrounding region. So there was this report, there was this news that was circulating Galilee. Well, why? Jesus was in town. Okay, that didn't impress you. Uh, in Matthew 9, 26 is the other one. Uh, Jesus comes into Capernaum and <clears throat> he's doing all these miracles. And of course, there's that woman who, who touches the, the edge of his garment, but he's making his way over to the synagogue's, uh, one of the officials in the synagogue's daughter. She had died and of course, he raised her from the dead, and it says in Matthew 9, 26, and this news spread all throughout the land. Hey, there's this fame that was just going around. Well, what is it? It's the fame thing. It's the, hey, there's this report, and, and everyone was just going, wow, did you hear? A little girl was just raised to, raised to life. And hey, if someone just popped a life here, wouldn't you be like, I'm calling home. Man, God's moving. There's, something's happening. And maybe we should pray over some of you because it looks like you need some life this morning. <laughs> so this idea of commendable or good report or that which is uh, honorable in that kind of a sense of, of well spoken of, it, it has this idea of to say something good about, has this idea of praiseworthy, which is interesting because we're going to get to the word praiseworthy here in a little bit, has this idea of honorable, which is interesting because we've already talked about the word honorable. It's like this mishmash of a whole bunch of the words that we were already looking at. But again, it's to speak well of, to have a good report. It's something commendable or praiseworthy. It's worthy of approval or praise. It's appealing. I like this definition. It's something worth talking about. Yeah, it's just what was Jesus doing? He was doing something worth talking about. That he was having a good reputation. Here's a question for us. 
are your thoughts in your mind. Remember, Paul's talking about the list of things that you're to be thinking about, that you're to fill up your mind with these things. Are the thoughts in your life, in your mind, worth talking about? In other words, uh, what if, and I, and I know I've given this illustration several times before, but what if we could somehow, just for the last 24 hours, plug you into some sort of a television and just see all, all of your thoughts? And all of your thoughts were just displayed in living color to the world. Would those thoughts be worth talking about? Would those thoughts be something that, that you would just be like, yes, that's my thoughts? Or would you be like, I don't know whose thoughts those were. Those are horrible. Those are, those are not good. Why? Because it's full of pride. It's full of lust. It's full of selfishness. It's just full of jealousy it's full of bickering it's full of bitterness it's full of frustration it's full of so are your thoughts worth talking about are are, are your thoughts something to such a degree that if someone was to see inside of your thought life you'd be worthy of a good reputation that that it would be something commendable uh, it would be something where people just go, wow, I, I can't believe people can think like that. Or if you want perhaps a different illustration, do your thoughts so declare the reality of Jesus that if someone was to see your thought life, would they actually want to become a believer? Would, would, would they want to be a Christian? Would they just go, wow, I, I, I'm so overwhelmed by the reality of Jesus in your, in your mind that I just, whatever it is that you have, I, I need that as well. Is that your thought life? Now, looking at your faces, seems like we all need Jesus, don't we? What would it look like if God did such a transformation of your heart and your mind? that your thought life will be of a good reputation. Don't you want that? Don't you want God just to do such a cleansing of your heart and your mind that if someone was to somehow get inside of your mind and see all of your motives and see all of your thoughts and see all of your, your just your ponderings throughout the day, that it would actually help your reputation? And yet, I think for so many of us, we'd be like, don't look at my mind. And isn't it interesting? I love the fact that in this whole passage, and again, I think the reason I've been struggling with verse 8 in every single one of these is because if Paul was merely talking about external things, I could fake it. I, I could put up a facade, and I could put on the smile, and I could fall off this thing. And we could just, you know, hey, and just, you know, and, and hey, a lot of us have done the church thing that way. I mean, you know, the classic story is, you know, you have the, the husband and the wife with the kids in the back and they're screaming and yelling and they're driving to church and they're da 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 but they get out of the church, they open the car door and they go, ah, right? And they all walk in and everyone's happy until they get back in the car and da 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 all the way home. You realize that's a problem. That, that somehow your, your mind is exposing Sorry, your, your, your actions there are exposing something. But hey, we can fake it. 
But Paul's not dealing with the external stuff. He's dealing with internal stuff, which means, how are you going to fake that stuff? And see, we can't see your thoughts. So what we're seeing is, because you do realize your thoughts influence your actions, which then make up a character which gives you a reputation. So what we're seeing is just really the outflow of your thinking. But there's a lot of stuff, my guess is, in our thinking that we're just hiding behind some sort of a shell, a, a curtain. What if we would just allow Jesus to get a hold of everything and just said, Lord, will you just overtake my mind? And would you, would you, would you literally go through every aspect of my heart and my mind to such a degree that, that, that even if someone could see my heart, my mind, because folks, he can see your heart and your mind, that would actually would speak well uh, it's interesting, in the classical Greek, uh, this word was sometimes used for the silence given before a, a sacrifice to the gods. In other words, we're about to make a sacrifice, so we're going to pause for a second. And the idea is, is that the words that were spoken right before the sacrifice were the words that the gods would hear in classical Greek. So if I can maybe use that as an illustration and maybe just by extension wouldn't it be interesting if your thought life was in such a way that all of your thoughts is what God heard? Because they are. And wouldn't it be neat if, if the thoughts that he was hearing in your life were well-pleasing? They were actually a good, a good reputation, a good report? That, that he was like, gather the angels around and say, hey, come here, come here, come here. Look at this person. Look at their thought life. They have such a good reputation in their thought life. I am going to spread the fame and the report of their thought life. Does that make any sense to you? So rather than trying to cloak and, and try to hide and, and try to scheme our thought lives, what if we would just bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, change it. Change anything you want in my mind so that my mind would have a good reputation in your, in your eyes. That if you were going to speak to the angels and say, I, hey, I'm going to spread a good report about one of my sons or daughters. Oh, it's all about their thought life. Look at this. Would he mention you? Could he do that in your life? So really quick, uh, that word, again, the, the word in our passage for commendable or a good report, it's, it's two Greek words, you, meaning good or well, and feme, which is this idea of report or to speak of something. It's interesting the word you, E-U, good or well, uh, it's usually, it shows up all the time as a prefix to words. I mean, it's all over the place. Euangelion, the good news, right? The gospel, euangelion, the gospel, right? What does it mean? It's the good news. You, good, gelion. Does that make any sense? So it shows up as a prefix on a ton of words. But if you just look up the word you, E-U, it shows up in four different ways in scripture. So there's six verses in scripture where it, the word you just shows up by itself. And it's fascinating. If your mind is supposed to be of good report, I actually think the Bible tells you what the good is supposed to be. Does that make sense? And in other, in other words, the good report of your life, of your thinking, the Bible has these four interesting illustrations or examples of things that are called good. And I actually think our minds should be dwelling upon those things. We're going to fly through these really quick. Number one is this idea of constancy or faithfulness. 
Uh, Matthew 25. Uh, it's the parable of the talents. And here's this master. He gives a, one servant five talents, one servant three talents, or two talents, and the other servant one talent. And goes, goes away and comes back, and the one that has the five talents, uh, it says in Matthew 25, verse 20, that the one who had received the five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you have entrusted five talents to me. See, I have earned five more talents. Listen to what the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why was that servant called good? He was faithful. There was a constancy in his life. You are faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up to him and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've earned two more. And the master said to him, Well done, good, there it is again, and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. But isn't it interesting, the one who only had one went and hid the thing, came back and just said, here's your, here's your, here's your talent. By the way, talent is a money thing. It's not like, ooh, I can sing. That's my talent. We're talking money. Okay. So the one that only had one talent says, hey, here's your money back. And the master goes, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? At least you could have made some interest on this thing. And the servant was called worthless. You lazy, worthless servant. And he was not good. So it seems like there's this idea associated with this idea of good, of this constancy faithfulness thing. Uh, there's another idea, the, the second time this word shows up, is all about this idea of care or focus. Uh, Mary of Bethany comes to Jesus and breaks open that bottle of spikenard, douses the feet of Jesus, and just lavishes his feet with this sacrifice. And Jesus makes this statement. Uh, the, the disciples were accusing her. But Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? Sorry, this is Mark 14, 6 or 9. She has done a good deed for me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good, that's our word, to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the entire world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. So it's this interesting passage that Jesus says, you realize that you always have poor around you and you can always do good to them. So don't use that as the excuse for why she shouldn't be anointing my feet. And when you get into the whole flow of the passage, it's interesting that you can... You can label this idea of good as this idea of it's the kindness stuff. It's the caring. It's the outward focused idea. Do you realize your mind is supposed to be constant, full of faithfulness? Dwell upon the things that are constant in your life. Dwell upon the things that are just sure and, and that which makes you faithful. Hey, dwell upon the things that are the caring, the outward focus, the self-sacrificing stuff. Hey, don't look inward, pour outward. Are you getting the tone? Okay. Uh, third is what we could call consecration. It had to be a C. We're doing C's, right? So, so if we're doing the flow thing, we have constancy, care, consecration. It's a preacher thing, sorry. So, uh, consecration. Uh, in Acts chapter uh, 15, the uh, early church gathers together, and they're trying to decide as Gentiles, 
do the Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be Christians? And so they get together, they argue, and they come up with this conclusion. And this is what they say. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Here's what they had to do. Abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from acts of sexual immorality. Now listen to the conclusion. If you keep yourself free from these things, you will do well. Good. What is it? It's about living a life of consecration. And again, it's not a limitation. There is a limitation in it. I understand that. But again, they're saying, hey, we're freeing you up, but you're still to live a life given over to God. There's this idea of consecration. And then lastly, there's this idea of character. Uh, You can call it fame, favor, honor. Uh, But it's this character idea. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, Paul says, honor your father and mother. He's repeating the Old Testament. He says, which is the first commandment with a promise so that that it will turn out well, good for you. That's our word. And that you may live long on the earth. He says, hey, you should show respect. You should show honor to your earthly parents, that there is good in showing honor and respect. So bring that into our passage. Paul says that your thinking should have a good reputation, that, that your mindset should be set upon things that are above, that when, when God hears your thoughts, he should go, wow, man, that's awesome, that I am just, I'm so overwhelmed by your thinking, I'm going to spread that report all over the place. Well, what are you filling your mind up with? Wouldn't it be interesting if your mind was filled up with things that just built character, things that showed honor, things that were, con- that, were, that, were that enabled you to be consecrated unto the Lord, things that were not inward focused but outward focused, that there was this constancy in your life that you weren't just all over the place and you're duplicit and living in, in hypocrisy, but, but there was this faithfulness in the, in the tone of your thinking. Biblically, those things are called good. What would it look like if you had a good reputation? You realize that your reputation is all based on your character. Your character is all based upon your actions, and your actions are all based upon your thinking. Because what starts in your mind flows out into your actions, that creates your character, and that creates a reputation. So, hey, this is, a, this is an inward thought thing. Hey, if you want a great reputation, not just outwardly in the facade of what you can fake, but I mean a, a literal good reputation of doesn't matter when people look at you or when they don't look at you, if they peek through your curtains or, you know, if they somehow are able to get inside your mind and see how you think. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had a good reputation in the world? It all starts in the brain. It all starts in the mind. Paul says, think on these things. Think on the things that build up reputation. The things that God would hear and just be like, wow, I'm spreading that good report. Let me give you a couple passages to close with. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, listen, listen to what Paul says in terms of the former way of thinking as, as, a, as an unbeliever and what you're now called to live as a believer. And realize he's talking about actions, but these actions start in the mind. So, so listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. <clears throat> he says, so I say this. And affirm in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk. Hey, you're not just to live like the world around you. In the futility of their minds. Do you realize 
that the way the world thinks has a futility in their mind. Uh, I think one scholar translated it in the stupid foolishness of their thoughts. That's a good way of talking about our culture's way of thinking. <laughs> it's just like, it is stupid. It is. You, you look at how they reason, and it's just like, that's dumb. Uh-huh. Do you know how you thought outside of Jesus? Dumb. Paul says, quit thinking that way. Don't live in that foolish stupidity of the world. Being darkened in, the, in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, that they, having become callous, have given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I mean, they're greedy about their impurity. But then listen to what Paul says. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you are renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, uh, sorry, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. He says, you are to take off that former way of thinking, that former way of living, and you are to put on a brand new reality. What's the brand new reality? Jesus. So do not think like the stupid foolishness of the world. Your mind is supposed to be Jesus, full of Jesus. And then he gives practical illustrations. Uh, in verse 25, he talks about lying. Put off lying, put on truth. In verse 26 and 27, he talks about anger. In verse 28, he talks about stealing. In verse 29, he talks about the way that you talk. In verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be removed from you with all malice. You realize all that stuff begins in the mind. And he says, your reputation is not to be like the world around you. What is your reputation supposed to be? Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing in your life if the reputation that you had in the world was Jesus? That you and him were so tight that you understand you're not Jesus, but you are full of his spirit. And wouldn't it be amazing if someone met you and who they actually saw was not you, they saw him. And the reputation you had was his reputation. And the life they saw wasn't you, they saw him. The hand they shook wasn't you. That, yeah, it was your hand. But it was, they were feeling his warmth inside your hand. That when you spoke, they heard his words. If they got inside your mind, they saw his thought life. That you had his reputation. First uh, Timothy chapter three is interesting. He's talking to Timothy, and he's talking about leadership in the church, and he says, "This is what a leader, this is what an elder, a deacon is supposed to look like." By the way, we should all esteem this. In other words, this isn't like, well, if you barely make the qualifications, we'll let you lead. This is as a Christian, you should be seeking. A life that looks like this. We all should be um, able to have this position because all of our lives should look like this. Listen, up, listen to what Paul says to Timothy <clears throat> in 1 Timothy 3. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, this is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work if he desires to do so. And then he begins to list the requirements. Now, as you listen to this, think about your own life. 
does this express your life? And realize that all of these things begin in the mind. So listen to the reputation of an overseer. He says an overseer must be above reproach. Well, that's convicting. If someone wants to scrutinize your life, they should find nothing to hold against you. That that there's no junk in your life that's just remaining there. He says they must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He must not be a new convert so that he must uh, so that he will not become conceited and fall in condemnation and cured by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into disgrace or the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not insincere, not prone to drink much wine, not greedy for money, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, these men must also be first tested. They must have certain... Uh, then have them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and a good manager of their children and their own households. Sorry, that was a lot. <clears throat> but are you getting this tone? <clears throat> that as Christians, we should have a good reputation. Where does that begin? The mind. First Timothy 4.12, Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, don't look down on... Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set the example. Well, what am I supposed to set the example in? Love, oh, sorry, uh, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Is your life doing that? Could, could someone point to your life and go, wow, they are the example for speech. Listen to how they talk. That's a Christian. Wow, look at how they live their life and their conduct. That's a Christian. Wow, look at their love. Wow, look at their faith. Look at their purity. Does that define you? Or what about like the fruits of the Spirit? You realize the fruits of the Spirit should be the defining attributes of a Christian because they are what are coming out of our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that define you? Is that your reputation? When someone thinks of you, do they go, wow, they are so full of love and kindness and patience. Man, they're so peaceful. They're so full of joy. They are constantly giving mercy. Does that define you? Come back to our passage. Paul says, you are to think about and fill up your mind with a good reputation. Are your thoughts worth talking about? Are your thoughts, is your thinking worth spreading good news about? Would, would, would a newspaper write an article about your mind if, if they could somehow see your mind for 24 hours? Does your mind proclaim the realities of Jesus Christ all throughout the day? Or is your mind stuck on you? Is it full of selfishness and pride and frustration and anger and lust and greediness and jealousy. 
Is it possible to have the mind of Jesus? As Philippians 2, 5 says. Is it possible, as Romans 12 tells us, that we can have a, a renewed mind? If it's possible, don't you want one? So what are your thoughts declaring about you? Let's pray. Oh Lord, maybe, <clears throat> maybe this is for nobody else in this room but me. But Lord, I need you. Lord, I just... Lord, I recognize that my mind needs to be renewed. Even if it wasn't just bad stuff, Lord, I, don't, I just don't want to let my mind just be full of frivolous nonsense. Lord, could you do such a work in my mind that not only would, not only would you hear and see my thoughts and go, wow, but Lord, even if the world could get inside my mind, it would only cause me to have a good reputation. Lord, could you, could you deal with anything that does not look like you? Anything that is not good? And Lord, what if my life was full of constancy and care and consecration and character? What, what if my mind was marked by the fruits of the Spirit? What if my mind was setting an example for the world around me? Lord, the only way that's going to happen is if you renew it. Lord, the only way that's going to happen is if you just, if you take my mind and so fill it with yourself and your life and your character and your heart and that somehow it just presses out everything else. So Lord, I just want to freshly give you my mind. Lord, I want to give you my heart. And Lord, would you, would you, would you so radically change and transform that if someone was to get inside my mind, they would go, wow. Lord, we need a band of believers in this generation who have minds like that. That are setting a reputation, not merely in the actions of their lives, but in the inside reality of their lives. Lord, Lord yes, you're interested in how we live and how we talk and, and what is being displayed through our lives, but Lord, all that truly comes from the inner life. So Lord, don't just deal with the outside stuff and cleansing the outside of the cup kind of a thing and not do with the inside. Lord, would you, would you come even this morning, would you change the inside of our lives to such a degree that, that what is inside is so full of Jesus that nothing outside of you can remain? So Lord, we don't want lust, we don't want pride, we don't want selfishness, we don't want frustration or jealousy or greediness. Lord, we want Jesus. And so Lord, we repent for all the selfishness and all the self-focus and all the self-protection that we've had in our minds. And Lord, we want to take on your reputation. And we understand it may be misunderstood in the world today, but oh, we want you. So Lord, would you do a work in our lives, in our minds. We need you, Jesus. We just declare that we love you. Thank you that <clears throat> we don't have to keep living the way we've always lived. Thank, thank you that we don't have to be lost in lust trapped in pride and selfishness, but that there is freedom and hope available in you through the cross. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice afresh this morning. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the praise and the glory in your precious name. Amen. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.